thanks for choosing this BJSM podcast where you'll be listening to Professor Mark Hutchinson. This is the second of two podcasts about knee conditions and in this one we're going to focus on the ACL. Mark, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be back with the audience of BJSM. And Hutch, we're going to talk about ACL and so common scenario, someone ruptures their anterior cruciate ligament. Does everyone who has that unfortunate event need an operation? Uh, no, I think it's a misunderstanding that uh, from a lot of my patients who believe that uh, they tore their ACL, therefore they need to have it rebuilt. And that's clearly not true. Uh, there are some populations that probably should be done, but many, many, most of them uh, can be treated conservatively first before they prove themselves to be unstable. Who doesn't necessarily need an operation? I would say the you know, average weekend warrior or the person who does primarily straight-ahead activities, so they're a cycler, they're a jogger, they're a runner, uh, they're not playing high-level twisting and cutting sports. Uh, virtually every one of those I would treat uh, non-operatively first, focus on rehabilitation, maybe use a brace during uh, higher-risk activities, but really focus on a non-operative approach to begin with. If they have an associated meniscus pathology, uh, potentially a locked bucket handle tear, then they probably should be addressed earlier because the outcomes of the meniscus repair are much better with surgical stabilization. And so my purpose there is not so much to address the ACL as to save the meniscus. If, if they're playing recreational soccer or sports that are midway between cycling and you know, professional sport, how do you deal with that group? I think it's a difficult group. Um, I think that if, if the patient states that to me that they're playing aggressively and competitively more than two to three times a week, then my prediction is that they probably will be unstable. And so then my concern is that with recurrent instability, they will damage meniscus, which then could lead to more arthritis and problems in the future because of loss of meniscus. And so in those, I'm more likely to lean them towards a surgical choice. But let's drill a bit deeper on that loss of meniscus issue because it's a, it's a complicated one and there are arguments both ways. Do you want to just summarize the arguments about that? Well, the, clearly there's differences between degenerative meniscus and large bucket handle meniscus and what type of meniscus tears that you have. But when you lose meniscus, um, you have increased forces and stress forces on the articular surface of the joint. And therefore that loading more likely than not, will lead to degenerative changes in the future. Um, there's been some debate that if you have an ACL instability with an associated meniscus tear that's maybe not peripheral and not necessarily repairable, that we don't need to jump into surgery for those. And I think that that's true um, because the, the meniscus is no longer salvageable. The key issue for a clinician is do I need to rush my patient off and get an orthopedic opinion or can I see how the patient goes so is there an argument for this idea whether some patients have got the capacity to cope and you know other patients don't and if that's the case how do you tell the original work on copers and non-copers was uh, Dale Daniels work uh, in uh, Southern California and 
the basis of what I've got, what I'm suggesting to you of this playing more than two to three times a week was based on his original work of coping and non-coping. He also made an assessment in terms of how loose the, the, the knee really felt. So if they had a large pivot shift on examination and a large Lachman, they probably would not, were not going to do as well. If they had less uh, they had less demand in terms of the number of times they're going to play twisting and cutting sports. Those people, more likely than not, would not have a recurrent episode of instability, would not damage more things, uh, and could be treated conservatively. That The basis of that really was a, a Kaiser Permanente study. It was They were trying to figure out which patients they could avoid surgery with. Um, so it's mixed mixed evidence in terms of the quality of that study, but still... It gives us some guidelines to look for. If I'm in modern day time, I think that many many of the patients who are recreational, lower demand uh, patients can go through a course of physiotherapy first, prove that they're going to be unstable. They're unlikely to damage their knee significantly in that trial. And then the ones that I would strongly recommend have surgery are the ones that prove to be unstable. Uh, probably the high-level athlete, because we know they're going to be uh, uh, strong torque, strong twisting and cutting demands, so they're more likely than not to have instability. And then there's a very another soft population or another population we have to worry about is that's kids, the skeletally immature ACL, because there are mixed studies about them, uh, but the concern is is that they're not as compliant. They're going to still go out and play. They're going to twist and cut on it. And when they damage their meniscus and damage other things in their knee well, young, it's, it's catastrophic. It's a very difficult thing to deal with. So young kids that have significant instability that aren't going to be compliant probably should be stabilized. Let's put in that caveat that's controversial. And our Norwegian colleagues could get on a podcast and we could have an interesting head-to-head, right? Oh, I, I, I 100% agree. And uh, for me... Uh, the issue is uh, saving the meniscus in those kids. Uh, there have been several studies that show that the recurrent instability in kids is higher. There's been two or three studies that have shown if the young kids can be compliant, so you wait them out, uh, and they prove compliant, that they can get by and they don't have recurrent problems. Uh, but clearly the early studies show that, that it was an issue. So, yeah, I think that that's a con- controversial issue, plus doing surgery on kids and crossing growth plates and having physeal potential risk problems is a risk. Uh, it's not the same as doing an ACL reconstruction in an adult. It's more difficult. And if you close a growth plate, then you've caused a significant problem in that child. So I don't think you can go into surgery on kids uh, without caution, but you have to look at the big picture. What's the best for that patient, uh, and what his demands are going to be. Uh, we have to respect the work of Horvard, Moxner, and Lars Engebretsen, who suggested in kids that there is not a significant difference uh, in terms of their out- outcomes, whether you do surgery early or you don't. And it was very quality work and probably the more recent work uh, on the topic. And let's just focus on how you explain this to the patient. Pretend you were telling me that there were pros and cons about having an ACL reconstruction. Let's listen to what you say. Yeah, I have a concern for a variety of my patients who learn that they had an ACL tear and therefore they think, I need to get it fixed. Uh, and then another group that 
they heard about it, and since they want to compare themselves to elite-level athletes, they think they're entitled to get it fixed. And so for those, I, I try to tell them that every single person does not need an ACL reconstruction, that they uh, could live a very healthy, normal life, generally with a straight-ahead activities, cycling activities, swimming activities, uh, and that even low-demand twisting and cutting activities as long as they rehabilitate, they can do very fine without their ACL. And so I encourage them to try that route first because then I also tell them we have to respect the risks of surgery, uh, the risks of post-operative stiffness. If a knee gets stiff, then there's an increased risk of patellofemoral arthritis. Uh, and so we have to respect those things. Surgery is not benign. And so for those Occasional recreational athletes, I think that non-surgical treatment for ACL reconstructions is a very appropriate approach uh, using good physiotherapy and then monitoring the patient carefully. You need to, you need to keep, a, keep in touch with your patient, uh, but they can do very well. So let's talk about the rehabilitation phase for someone who has not had an operation. Do you encourage patients to have an active program or do you think they can get by by self-managing? Uh, I don't think patients are educated enough to do the proper exercises. So I think a course of physiotherapy is very, very important for the ACL deficient patient. They need to know which muscles to be working on. They need to know to work on their core. Um, they need to know what types of activities they might want to be cautious with or avoiding. And that comes from a course of direct guidance with a physiotherapist. I don't think it has to be extended for months and months. I think that they can get that information within eh, two to three weeks. Uh, but I think working with a physiotherapist is very important. As we move towards the end of this chat about ACL injuries, if I was the patient, I said to you, look, don't I need to have a knee reconstruction to avoid arthritis because I've heard that that's a big problem. What would you say? Um, I would say that the evidence doesn't support that. Um, I think traditionally we all told our patients that. Uh, we felt that uh, the recurrent instability was going to cause a problem. But we actually also know that the ACL reconstruction itself uh, has a potential of causing arthritis. Uh, there's been some literature that's now supported that the tunnel placements uh, may risk the meniscus roots during ACL reconstruction that then can risk future arthritis. And so ACL reconstruction is not necessarily benign. Uh, regarding regarding the potential of arthritis. Um, I think that if somebody proves to be recurrently unstable, then I think that they do risk their meniscus. And the more meniscus loss that you have over time does directly correlate with arthritis. So it's, it's more about the meniscus than it is about the ACL. And... This could be another big topic, but let's just make it brief. There are enough people who've had reconstructions now that revision reconstructions or rupture of a reconstructed knee is a big group. How do you advise those patients? What's your approach when someone has ruptured a knee that's been reconstructed? Well, none of mine have failed. Okay, I'm kidding. Um, I've had failures. I think every great surgeon, and I'm not saying I'm a great surgeon, but I, uh, any good surgeon has had failures. And uh, when they first come back after the failure, I'm going to go through the same sequence. What's your demand level? Oftentimes, after they failed, they've decreased their demand level. They now longer. They say, 
I'm not going to go back to playing soccer two to three times a week. I'm willing to stay fit doing a straight-ahead life. So since their demand level changed, perhaps now non-surgical treatment is an appropriate treatment. We also know that revision surgery is not as successful as the primary surgery, and so the patient needs to know that. Are they willing to go through the extensive rehab post-surgically for outcomes that are not as good as a primary many times? And you've just got me to think about two other points, Hutch. Um, return to play and also Ips contralateral rupture. So let's do the contralateral rupture while we're on ruptures. We know that's a common phenomenon as well. So when a patient comes in with that scenario, are they frustrated? I mean, how's that appointment go? Um, they're very frustrated. Uh, the, 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 both, the, both the revision so that they come back and they injure the same knee or they hurt the opposite one. They went through a big rehabilitation. They're very excited about getting back to play. Getting re-injured is psychologically traumatic. And so they have to go through all of this again. And in fact, one of the reasons we have big questions about people returning to play now, it's really a hot topic, is not even the surgical fixation. It's not the physiotherapy. It's the psychology. Is, are the athletes actually ready to get back? And, and so what I've now instituted in many of my patients is as part of their rehab, we try to give them positive feedback. We try to sit there and go, give them, let them meet other athletes that have made it back because they can get frustrated during that rehab plan and they lose their confidence. And if they never get it back, if your goal at the time of doing surgery in the first place was getting back to a twisting and cutting sport, Maybe you never needed to do the surgery um, because you didn't address that psychology issue. So I think it's a very key issue, especially in modern ACL reconstructions. And we'll put links to papers about these in the blurb with the podcast. Claire Ardern has published on return to play in the primary and focused on psychological and other issues. And as Mark said, there are two big conferences on return to play, one in Bern in November of 2015 and one in London in April of 2016. So it is a hot topic. So let's finish with that, Hutch, the return to play issues. What sort of things do you think are important in counselling and do you have criteria for return to play? Um, yes, I have a few different criteria for return to play. Uh, one is I really work on this psychological effect. This is something I've changed in my practice and I would encourage all of my colleagues to change and focus on that in the practice, is are they confident enough? Are they confident in their knee to get back to play? Um, I think that uh, other key issues of return to play is have we waited long enough? If you do a surgical reconstruction, have you waited long enough for the collagen to actually heal? Uh, I think a lot of orthopedic surgeons got on the bandwagon of an accelerated, aggressive rehabilitation and it was kind of cool. You could pat yourself on the back, but somebody got back to play at three months or four months. And the tissues really weren't ready yet. The other thing that wasn't ready yet, ready yet was maybe their coordination. And so for me, I don't let my patients back until after six months because I'm assuring that the collagen is healed. And then I have a very intricate functional testing program that they have to pass. They have to do single leg jumps. They have to do triple jumps. They have to do slalom jumping forwards and backwards. They have to do single leg squats on stable and unstable surfaces. 
all of those types of things before I say, okay, it's okay to start the progression back to play. In the practicality of that, do you test those things in your office yourself or you work closely with a physio who checks those and gives you feedback? Uh, I do check them all independently myself in the office. Um, my physios now actually all know exactly what I do. So uh, after six months, they're training my patients uh, for that. They know that I'm going to test it in my office. And so uh, if you work with a physio very closely, they're in your office. I think they're very easy studies to do. Um, but you're really looking very carefully at landing skills, at the position of the hips. Are they dropping their hips? What's the knee rotation? So you have to have a qualified physiotherapist who's looking at the right things to say this is really 100% return, 100% functional return. The last piece of that is that's a test one moment in time, and we have to be very careful about fatigue because while we do that one moment in time at six months, hey, you passed my test, they go try to play for an hour, they get fatigued, they get bad habits again. So they have to gradually return once even they pass that functional test. And that was about return to play after someone's had a reconstruction. What about return to play when they're being managed with non-surgical exercises? I think the, the concept is very similar. Um, I think certainly we're going to make that attempt much sooner. I'm not going to wait for six months. But if I'm going to have them return to play, I want to see the same functional skills. I want to see them confident. I want to see their, their core working that they don't have rotational changes at their knee, they have good landing skills, they're confident doing it. And then I'm going to work on the fatigue issue so that they're not going to get tired and fall into bad habits. So those are the issues that I would follow for the non-surgical treatment of an ACL, or an ACL injury. Thanks a ton, Hutch. Um, it's a food for thought there. Brilliant. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, pleasure, once again, spending time with you and, and this audience. That was the popular Professor Mark Hutchinson, and we referred to a sold-out sports physiotherapy conference in Bern, which is run by the National Federation of Sports Physical Therapists. And the one that isn't sold out as we do this conversation is in London in April 9th and 10th of 2016. It's run by the Isaac Kinetic Group with major partners including FIFA and it goes under the heading of Football Medicine Strategies. It's a fantastic weekend in London. I recommend you consider that if you're interested in return to play and football, physiotherapy, sports medicine and surgery. Thanks for listening. Have an active day.